Welcome back to That Was a Close One. I'm your host, Manisha, and this is the podcast where I tell my husband, aka co-host Justin, true crime survival stories. We're back! Welcome back, guys. Uh, Sorry for the long delay on episodes. We just had some uh, personal time and also with the holidays, so uh, we try to get back on a normal schedule. Yes. So, this is season two. That's what we're going to call this. I kind of wanted to end the season one with 10, but it's fine. <laughs> um, so I, I made a couple changes. So I will be reading a short story from Ranker at the beginning. It can be just a random story or it can be like a little survivor story. And then I'll read the main story after it. So it's just like a little headline pretty much. Alright, so let's get into this Ranker story. In June of 2014, a small plane crashed on a routine trip across Congo. The pilot and 19 passengers all died, leaving only one survivor to tell his unbelievable story. Apparently, a fellow passenger had smuggled a live crocodile onto the flight in his luggage. And when the crocodile escaped, the loose reptile caused a panic. Crew and passengers stampede to the front of the airplane, dangerously shifting the plane's weight, throwing it off balance, leading it to a fatal crash. Was it it the Florida man? (laughs) I don't don't think so. But I thought that was crazy. I read it and I was like, what in the world? Who smuggles an alligator into a suit, into their luggage? And I guess they had it like as a carry-on because it was up with everyone. It must not have been that big of a uh, like a alligator if it's fitting like a luggage. I don't know, but it caused the plane to crash. Yeah, it's also crazy the fact that that much of a shift in weight just caused it to totally yeah, go it's down. Not balanced. Yeah, I thought it was just crazy. So. So if you want to hear more stories like that, just let us know. We can do a whole episode on those if you would like to. Just so you don't have like all downers. It can be all like exciting ones and stuff. Or it could be like dumb ways people have died. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that too. (laughs) Alright, so our story today is two survivors. Eduardo and his wife, Jane. His wife? Wife. Did I say wife? (laughs) Yeah, you said rife, like a, like W-R. <laughs> wife. There you go. This my love, me and my wife. Rife. My wife. My wife. <laughs> All right. I love my wife so much. <laughs> She's the love of my wife. <laughs> the love of my wife. Okay. So, Eduardo, <laughs> I can't speak now because of you. Okay. <laughs> Eduardo yeah, I, I and Jane. Your speaking ability. <laughs> All right. So the story was in June of 2007 in San Miguel de Ande. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Jane met her husband at a supermarket in Maryland, and soon after, Eduardo decided to take her to Mexico, and Jane absolutely fell in love with the town. San Miguel de Aden, 
and she didn't want to go back to the United States. All she wanted was to begin a new life in Mexico. So Jane and Eduardo moved to Mexico with their children to a ranch on the outskirts of the town. And every morning, they drove their three children to school. And they would always sing all the way to school. Jane and Eduardo give their children a kiss and drop them off at school. They get back into their Jeep and begin the journey back home. The streets were very narrow, and when they got halfway back to their home, things began to get weird. There was an SUV in front of them. It was driving pretty slow. And then the SUV slams their brakes. So Eduardo had no other choice but to stop behind him. There was no way of passing this SUV due to the narrow roads. Then the car behind them hits them at the same time before a second could even pass. Jane and Eduardo were surrounded by people and dogs. Just listen to your uh, English over here. I'm your, sorry, I can't. Your pronunciation of things. <laughs> I'm trying to think, are you wanting to say Eduardo or Eduardo? I know, it's, <laughs> I'm just, it's getting tongue-tied. I don't like to mix my brain in my mouth because in my, my brain it wants to read it spanish wise and then in my when it comes out of my mouth it wants to come out english so <laughs> you shouldn't be mixing these up you're half hispanic you should be good at this well in my head it's, it's hispanic but when it comes out of my mouth it's not all right so they were surrounded by people and dogs one of the people had a hammer in one of his hands and a gun in the other the guy takes the gun and is going right at Eduardo's head. And he tells Eduardo, get out of the Jeep. And with that gun in his hand, he breaks the window of the Jeep. They pull Eduardo out of the Jeep and hit him over the head with the base of the gun. Eduardo began to bleed from his injuries and he could feel it pouring all over his body. Then another man came from the other side of the jeep. Jane noticed that he was carrying a police club and a handgun. One of the men said, don't F with us or I will kill you. Jane and Ed Eduardo were in fear of their life and thought they would never get to see their children ever again. The people there forced Eduardo and Jane into the kidnapper's car. They put a pillowcase over Eduardo's head, handcuffed his hands, and his feet were duct taped. And they did the same to Jane. Eduardo and Jane just kept screaming and yelling, hoping someone could help. The kidnappers began to yell at them, to tell them to shut up. The kidnappers drove the vehicle for about eight minutes and pulled over to the side of the road. That's when another car pulls up alongside of them and takes Eduardo. The vehicle with Eduardo driving for another 35 minutes. Then they arrive at their destination. They drag Eduardo into a dark room and he was stripped naked and they removed his blindfold and in the corner of the room, Eduardo noticed there was a box. 
One of the guys takes Eduardo and pushes his head down and shoves his body into that box. The interior of the box was covered in a rough, dark gray material and it was six feet high and seven and a half feet long and 27 inches wide. There was also about a inch and a half of chlorine in a bucket for Eduardo to use as a toilet. The smell of the chlorine would burn his eyes and nose. There was only two holes in the box. One was for sucking in air and one was for pumping air out. There was also two light bulbs and two big speakers playing music. They would keep those lights on and speakers on 24-7. They blasted music through the speakers. The music playing was drug trafficking music called narco pop and at the highest point in the box there was a camera that they would use to constantly watch him the kidnappers were slide papers under the door demanding eduardo to write down how much money he had and what did he own eduardo was not allowed to speak or make any loud noises while being trapped in the box the only way he could communicate was by writing they tell Eduardo not to lie and that they have Jane in a box next to him and they are asking her the same question and if the answers don't match up, they will kill him right then and there. But that turned out not to be true even though Eduardo would think he could hear Jane yelling. Jane was actually left behind in the first car that they were kidnapped in. They left her there alone bounded so she quickly began to her escape she was still in duct tape but she began to travel to the highway she sees an old man riding a bike and tells him that her husband has been kidnapped and begs him to help her they stop a car and immediately call the police when the police arrive the kidnappers car they find an envelope in the grass next to the door that jane had escaped from and on that envelope, it said, Senora Jane, we have your husband. We will be giving you instructions through emails, and we will be in touch. Jane calls the AFI, which is Mexico's federal agency that fights organized crimes, just like the FBI. They tell Jane that an agent would be arriving to her in the next 12 hours. The AFI has suspicion that Eduardo was kidnapped by EPR, a leftist guerrilla group. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. Day one of Eduardo being in the box, a masked kidnapper unlocks the box and gives Eduardo a note saying that he wanted $8 million. Eduardo tells them that he doesn't even have that kind of money. The kidnappers snap back at him, telling him that he does have that kind of money, and they know that he does. Like, they're like, we already know you have that money. But Eduardo's like, but I don't. So, <laughs> Eduardo believed that the kidnappers thought he was wealthy because of his father. His father owned, a newspaper, owned newspapers and was well known in Mexico. But he lost majority of his fortune before he passed away, and the rest was divided among his nine brothers and sisters. Five days later, 
Jane receives an email from the kidnappers. It says that they have Eduardo and that they will keep him until you pay us the $8 million. And they will not negotiate. So now it's seven days that Eduardo has been in the box. He is now having sleep deprivation due to the lights and music constantly being on. He was trying really hard to keep his sanity. And on day 10, the kidnappers give Eduardo a note saying that they had now released Jane, which we know is not true, that they didn't even have her in the first place. Days pass by, and now it's 30 days later. Jane receives another email from the kidnappers with a photo attached. When she opened the photos, she could not believe her eyes. The photo of Eduardo in the box. He was really skinny, naked, had duct taped over his eyes, his hands were handcuffed, and he was holding the local newspapers with the date. The emails would become more and more aggressive and terrifying. The kidnappers would also make up lies to Eduardo about Jane, saying that Jane has found another man and that she is happy with her new life and having a great time with all of his money. Eduardo unfortunately began to believe some of those lies. They would also make him write to Jane hundreds of letters that they would send through email, making it sound like it was her fault that he is in the box and being tortured. She just knew that was not Eduardo, and she began to worry that she would never get the real Eduardo back. More emails begin to come in threatening Jane if she doesn't send the money by a specific date that they would begin to inject Eduardo with HIV-tainted blood. And that is what they exactly did. They began to inject Eduardo with the, this HIV blood and send photos of him being injected to Jane. And now they are threatened they will shoot him. On day 141 of the kidnapping, they pull Eduardo out of the box, put him on the ground, and they shoot him in the leg. And they sent the photo to Jane and tell her that Eduardo will be shot every 14 days until she provides them with the money that they have asked for. In day 157, they shot Eduardo in the arm, and again, they sent another photo to Jane. Jane felt like she was being watched, so she, pr she pretended to pack up and leave for the USA to scare those kidnappers into thinking that she was fleeing and not going to pay them. Eduardo was ready to give up on life, he now began to try to kill himself because of all this torture, but he was having such a hard time trying to die. Eduardo was now just skin and bones with no strength. He also had infections from the bullet wounds. He would even begin to talk to himself, thinking he was talking to someone else, but it was all in his head. Now the kidnappers take Eduardo out of the box again and make him face a wall and they begin to shave his head and beard. It's now day 200 and the kidnappers send Jane an email that they are going to lower the ransom. And it all needs to be in cash. So two brothers who worked for Jane and Eduardo go to Mexico City to give them the ransom to save him. But it was a trap 
and now they have taken one of those brothers and they sent Jane another email demanding the original ransom of $8 million to release the man. Day 225, they tell Eduardo that his ransom has been paid. They give him clothing and took him to the graveyard, placed him towards a wall, and told him to count to 200 and not to look back. He is now released. They actually released him. He hitchhiked to his ranch. Jane couldn't even recognize him because of the condition he was in. Eduardo couldn't even recognize himself. He was so skinny, only 84 pounds. The police told them that they are not safe in Mexico and that they need to head back to the USA. So they quickly left the country. The brother that was kidnapped was released and safe soon after Jane and Eduardo left the USA. The kidnappers have never been caught and Eduardo and Jane say they will never go back to Mexico. And that is the story of Eduardo and Jane. Thank you made us uh, a little speech area. You said um, that the brother was released once they uh, left the USA. You mean once they left Mexico? Oh, yeah, yeah. When they headed back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's, you messed up a little bit there. <laughs> Mix, mixing my words up. So, any thoughts? I mean, it just shows you how dangerous it can be in, in down there in Mexico with them crazy people that do all that stuff. And it's very sad that more than likely if anything happens down there if you're lucky to live you're not really gonna be able to get justice yeah they never they never caught these people and over thousands of people have been kidnapped that's like the same thing with like how the cartel works down there i mean they get away with just like about everything i mean Mm -hmm. yeah there might be like a i don't know i don't know how they operate down there probably like standoff with police or something but I'm pretty sure the police only try to get involved with them no they don't no it's, yes it's some parts are just really really unsafe um, like Eduardo he said you know that's his country but he's never going back he says it's getting worse every year and yeah Yeah, I wouldn't blame the guy that wouldn't want to go back to your home country after being kidnapped for almost a year and being tortured shot two times and he was kept in that little box with like the lights were constantly on and the music was constantly playing and they would turn up the volume like really loud like that would make you go insane and also i forgot to mention that when they were injecting him with the hiv blood it really wasn't hiv it was just blood it didn't have hiv in it but I think that's still pretty dangerous. Yeah, depending on if the needle they use was clean or who all knows, I don't know. It's almost like it's almost like they did or had just a bunch of bluff tactics to where it's like they did certain things saying it's one thing but then it really wasn't that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and then Eduardo and Jane never released how much they gave them in ransom, like they haven't ever said. So I don't know if they gave them the eight million, or they've got money from somewhere. It's never been released, but I'm surprised he survived because his wounds—they got so infected 
because he would just sit there and his blood and his in that little bucket you know had his urine and all that crap but I'm surprised I let him go yeah probably just didn't get the ransom take him somewhere and kill him mm-hmm yes but better if it took him too long to give him the ransom in the first place that so they didn't just go ahead and kill him and just be done with it right and Jane she was a really good you know wife and never given up on him never she didn't leave the US without him I mean the leave Mexico without him well that was a close one goodbye <laughs> the sources for the story are I survive episode of brutal kidnapping becomes a living nightmare and awesomeafter.com success stories don't forget to check out our instagram at that dot was a close one our tiktok at that was a close one post you can email us at <laughs> that was a close one 348 at gmail.com if you have any case suggestions don't forget to rate us leave a review on apple music and that's it Bye.